In the mid-60s, a number of the neighborhoods in Rochester, New York, were in pretty serious trouble. Unemployment and crime were high, and racial strife was tense. So a number of the leaders of different organizations and congregations in the area got together to try to figure out what they could do for their communities. They formed a neighborhood organization, and they decided to make some demands of the Eastman Kodak Company, which was headquartered in Rochester and basically ran the economics and the politics in the city there. And so they had some simple requests that Eastman Kodak hire more people of color from the neighborhoods and the communities there, and that they provide money for job training for those who are unemployed. But not only would Eastman Kodak not agree to their demands, Eastman Kodak wouldn't even recognize the organization as legitimate representatives of their neighborhoods. So they called in a man named Saul Olinsky, who was, among other things, brought us the school of community organizing that would eventually bring us a man named Barack Obama. And Saul Alinsky sat down with these leaders and they tried to look at how they could pressure the company. And they decided that most of the usual tactics that one might use don't, wouldn't really work in this situation. Local protests don't really work against a multinational company. And boycotts don't really work against a company that has a monopoly in its industry. So they started just grasping at any ideas they could come up with to try to put some kind of pressure on the leaders of Eastman Kodak. And someone had an idea, well, what if we got some proxy votes to go and get into Eastman Kodak's annual shareholder meeting? Some of you may know that if you own shares in a company, you get a vote at their annual meeting. You get one vote for every share. And if you can't make it to the meeting, you can give your vote to someone else to vote on your behalf. And so they thought maybe someone can give us their votes and we can get into the meeting and we can cause some kind of trouble. Well, they kind of staggered along and stumbled along and without much success until the Unitarian Universalists got involved. Because that happened to be the year that Saul Alinsky was speaking at the UUA's General Assembly. And while he was there, he convinced the delegates to pass a resolution giving all of the UUA's shareholder proxies in Eastman Kodak to these communities in Rochester. So all of a sudden, they had tens of thousands of votes at the annual meeting. And once the denomination did that, local congregations and then individual Unitarian Universalists started to send their proxies to, to the communities of Rochester as well. And once other denominations saw what the UUs were doing, well, they joined in and built it up. And eventually, Eastman Kodak started to get nervous. Also, politicians who hadn't returned phone calls before now started to call up Solvinsky and say, you know, this is an issue that we really care about we'd really love to help out. Is there anything we can do? So they started to have hearings. The senators would say to their aides, how many Unitarian Universalists are in my district? Because if they're willing to send their proxies to Rochester, they might actually get involved politically. And you know that politicians don't usually like that. And of course, it wasn't long before the CEOs of Eastman Kodak called up Walensky and they said, what are you going to do when you get to the meeting? And Olinsky gave them the honest answer, which was that we have no idea. But they didn't believe him because now that the Unitarian Universalists were involved, things just seemed to be working too well. 
And so eventually the CEOs not only agreed to hire more people of color from local communities and provide job training, but they even pressured the local municipalities, which they essentially ran to improve conditions in those neighborhoods. I'm inspired of this story of a rare time when Unitarian Universalists came together and, first of all, agreed on an issue, and then set to work on it. It's not often that we see such a thing. Today, we hear all about the problems facing our communities, and they are often not so different of those from the story of Rochester 40 years ago. Companies all over the country continue to privilege white people with more promotions and bigger paychecks. Similarly, the immigration laws recently passed in Arizona that, were, that were, went into effect a few weeks ago necessitate some collective conversation among people of faith. There are deep questions beneath the shallow headlines that we read. What does it mean to really love my neighbor? How does one act on loving their neighbor? Perhaps more difficult, who is my neighbor? These are questions you've struggled with. Would you say out loud right now, who is my neighbor? Race is not only an issue of corporations perpetuating inequalities. It is not only a question of white descendants of immigrants treating their new neighbors with unkindness and threats but it is people of color and the poor who are hit first and worst by the dangers of climate change, a problem of a scale and complexity without precedent. The solutions to this scale of problems will not come just one individual at a time. They will require not just a change in the small habits of our lives, but in the institutions and systems that we're a part of. Luckily, as Unitarian Universalists, the kind of collective action required of us is built into the heart of our theology and our religious community. There's a lot that we can learn from this story of Rochester 40 years ago, when the collective power of the association joined with the organized resistance of the communities of Rochester. What actions will we need to take together today to democratize our economy or our legislative process or to turn climate change around. I'm reminded of a small quote by Bill McKibben in his book, Deep Economy. McKibben is the founder of an environmental organization, 350.org, and I was inspired to read his broad vision of local communities coming together to create change. But what stuck with me most of all was when he talked about individuals changing the light bulbs in their house to long-lasting fluorescence. He said, our climate, chain, our climate problem is past the point where we can make the math work one light bulb at a time. Well, that seems a little pessimistic, but it reminds me of a time when I was working on a campaign against a company you may have heard of called Victoria's Secret. Victoria's Secret was sending out a million catalogs a day, and they were using endangered forests for their paper. But when we called them up to ask them to change their paper policies and use recycled or at least sustainably logged paper instead, they were confused. They said, what do you mean we need to become more environmentally friendly? We just changed all the light bulbs in our headquarters to long-lasting fluorescence. 
Well, congratulations. But the idea that it's okay to turn ancient forests into junk mail acres at a time, as long as you have long-lasting fluorescent light bulbs in your home or headquarters, that is ridiculous. But it's no surprise when a multinational company says something like this. They're just following a wider trend in our culture that says small individual actions will be enough. Individual actions are necessary, but not sufficient. For Victoria's Secret, it took thousands of activists, including countless Unitarian Universalists, protesting outside and quite often inside their stores before we were able to bring about the pressure that caused them to change their policies. Today, Victoria's Secret's parent company works for us lobbying other governments and companies to change their policies. Unitarian Universalists sometimes struggle to articulate what defines us. It can feel easier to list the things we don't believe in rather than the things we do. In the end, though, what sets us apart is our way of creating covenant together. A covenant is an agreement of how we will be together. It defines our relationships on our terms without outside mediators or rule makers. Ours is a faith of interdependence, and covenant is how we do interdependence. Covenantal religion goes deeper than declarations of beliefs. It goes deeper even than liturgy. Putting our faith in a covenantal religion is not the easy path. It is the road less traveled. It means that at the heart of our faith is relationship. Because if living religiously meant just following God's rule book, well, that's pretty easy to do on your own. You know, almost all of the Ten Commandments can be followed pretty well in isolation. Some of them are probably best followed alone. But Unitarian Universalism demands a community. We believe that some things are better accomplished together, and a spiritual life is one of those. Social justice work is another. In the words of former UUA President Bill Sinkford, we are better together. If you found that to be true, would you say out loud, we are better together? We have envisioned in our hearts and articulated in our principles a goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all. By and large, though, we have not reached our potential to make it happen. If you think we still have some work to do, would you say we have work to do? I worry that might be because of our tendency to try to do things alone. Some of us have thought we could do our part just by changing light bulbs. By, but changing the laws in Arizona, or even the culture of fear that led to those laws, that takes more. Changing light bulbs and the other personal habits are certainly necessary, but they are not sufficient. We are past the point where the math will work out that way. It is not enough to have friends of a different race or to denounce racism on Fox News by yelling at your TV. Covenantal religion calls us to take collective action within and beyond our denomination to change the way the media portrays immigrants. It is necessary but not sufficient to turn down the thermostat in winter. Covenantal religion calls us to take collective action within and beyond our denomination to retrofit our housing. 
It is not enough to quietly observe segregation in our cities and suburbs. Covenantal religion calls us to work hand in hand to transform our systems of banking and transit and public school funding so that the balance of access to resources reflects the balance of our moral standard. It is necessary but not sufficient to give a portion of our income to charity. Covenantal religion calls us to democratize our economy so charity isn't so desperately needed. If you think that's some good work to try out, do you say democratize our economy? In deciding to step away from business as usual at this year's General Assembly, our denomination is once again standing in solidarity with the most vulnerable among us. For Unitarian Universalism to come of age, we will need to take the kind of collective, organized action that turns the systems of our society towards justice. Covenantal religion is the ends and the means of living in right relationship. The ends of democratic institutions will come only through the means of collective action. Covenant must happen in action as well as words. UU Mass Action, with their incredible legislative work, inspires me with their slogan, From Cacophony to Choir. The choir, my friends, doesn't need to be preached to. It needs to get organized. That's exactly what they're doing. When Eastman Kodak and Victoria's Secret mocked democracy with their corporate structures and inhumane policies, Unitarian Universalists stepped up hand in hand with a unified voice to change the rules of the game. Those struggles grew out of a faith that is grounded in covenant in the relationships that we grow together, in the work that we do together. Our collective strategy for social change is guided by our covenantal theology of right relationship. I invite you to join in the efforts in this expanding movement to deepen our faith in relationship with each other and with the marginalized among us. To covenant in action as well as words. Would you say covenant? to step away from business as usual, to organize the choir, would you say organize? To stand on the side of love, would you say love? I invite you to join me in recommitting to a covenantal faith of interdependence and social change. Would you say, may it be so?